Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The year is 1984. Reagan's a fascist. We're all going to die by the neutron bomb. So why not eat a plate of shrimp? The movie, Repo Man. everybody, welcome to Unspooled. That's right, I am Paul Shear. Amy Nicholson's not here. Uh, I'm a little bit under the weather, and we could not actually get our MASH episode out in time because I'm sick as a dog. So what we decided to do was go into our archives and pull out one of the episodes that we did at the Alamo Drafthouse. Um, every month we do a show at the Alamo Drafthouse where we pick a film, and then we talk about that film and the scope of a larger discussion. It's really quite fun. Uh, We actually have a new one coming up on March 23rd. It's a Monday, so come check it out if you're in LA. But this month, we talked about Repo Man, the Tony Cox cult classic. That's a hard thing to say all at once. Um, And we talked about L.A. and why we love to see L.A. destroyed, whether it's in Blade Runner or Demolition Man. What is it that is so I don't know, destroyable about L.A. We brought on an amazing guest um, who actually has some uh, real-world experience in city planning. Um, You might know him as the host of Hollywood Handbook or Flagrant Ones. His name is Hayes Davenport, and we're going to jump into the conversation that we were having about L.A. and how the city never really became what people ever wanted it to be. So take a listen to this episode where we talk about L.A., Repo Man, and a little bit more. Enjoy. If Hollywood is a place where we're imagining what the future could be through movies, I was really curious about how, how does Hollywood, the city, imagine like what Los Angeles would be in the future? Like, How do the people who create Los Angeles do it? Right. And, and so I went kind of digging through history, and I found that you know every so often, every decade and a half, two decades... L.A. comes up with this big manifesto to say what they want to do. Like this one that was in 1970. It was called The Concept for the General Plan. And what they theorized... That's a terrible title. (laughs) (laughs) That is the title of a manifesto of someone who goes to like a Burger King with a machine gun. (laughs) 
it looks like the plan is uh, an eyebrow invasion. <laughs> well, kind of what they were thinking is, you know, Los Angeles is so big, it's so sprawling. What if we organize Los Angeles like a bunch of tiny cities and really drilled in on the fact that that's kind of what we are? And so they created this idea of what they thought would be urban centers, where in every one of these little circles, you would just get all of your needs met and you'd never have to leave your part of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Uh, this would have been like in the 40s, I think, right? Something yeah, like this that. This was 70, but I think it was like building 70. maybe off of that idea. All they needed to really do is just put a target in a couple areas and you'll be fine. Because once there's a target, there's no reason to leave. But even that, as you know, if you live in Hollywood, is not easy. So Hollywood, when they envision L.A., they tend to be very scared. Uh, Blade Runner is like a great example of this. So in the 80s, in the early 80s, everyone was freaking out about growth that there were going to be skyscrapers everywhere uh, in Westwood. If you know, like the Westwood corridor, they did like loosen up the building on that, like just for a second. And then like the next day there were a bunch of towers. And so people were freaking out that it was like Blade Runner, that, that, that like opening shot where it's like huge towers as far as you can see was like Hollywood's nightmare uh, for like people that lived in the hills, basically. Because it would block their view? That's them like looking out from their houses on the top of the hills, basically imagining how bad it could be. Like, over, yes, because it could block their view. Is essentially, there a real. Do you know about this? Like a real thing called like air rights. Like, do you would buy like you you would have the rights to like essentially your view? Is that something that uh, that was in a, a movie called Burlesque, and it was spoken uh. about with such <laughs> great like authority that I was like. It sounds like it could be a thing. It's like, we need to buy the air rights. I don't understand how you would buy That you control space infinitely up, like straight up <laughs> above your building. Any planes go over there. Well, like, I remember, it's like, open season. I lived in New York for a while, uh, for a long, long time, and I lived above Roseland. And Roseland, when it was still like a music venue, was great because I had this amazing shot. Like I could just look from my apartment all the way uh, from 8th Avenue to Broadway because there's nothing blocking it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then when Roseland closed, everyone freaked out because essentially yeah. they built they just built right up and it just block it just blocked you in. Like so every everybody had this amazing view all of a sudden is staring at another concrete building. Yes. And everyone kind of loses their their shit about that stuff, especially in LA. But it was because of not because of Blade Runner, but Blade Runner re reflects this kind of fear that basically made LA in the mid 80s, like kind of stop development altogether. Uh, so in 1986, there was a law passed called Proposition U that just shut it all down. Uh, and that led to this kind of slow growth thing where, like, we didn't get even close to the 2019 that they're showing in Blade Runner. I mean, it took, like, five years to get this theater opened. Like, it doesn't – stuff <laughs> Stuff does not happen that fast here. Uh, and it sort of led to a position we're in today where – you wonder if we did have a city that looked a little more like Blade Runner, if people who are now homeless could have more affordable places to live, possibly. A vision of the future more like her. Or like I read today that yes. here in downtown, 70% of these giant new condos that are going up are still unoccupied after, over, after a year. But isn't there like a stat, and you probably know it better than I do, like 88% like is not for low, like are not it's not affordable housing all the new building that is all the new buildings going up are uh, basically market rate housing they're not like designated affordable which in right. LA means that they're like crazy expensive yeah for, so it's like, like we are so we are building 
up for potentially either, I mean, if they're unoccupied, for people who can't afford them and they're just basically staying empty then. Yes. Which is, I think, you know, what's going on with the, I mean, again, this is me really pulling from a lot of different places. I don't know if any of this is true. But, like, the idea of, like, why WeWork is kind of failing, too, because it was, like, this is, like, just empty real estate. They're like, oh, we'll throw something in here and we'll try to get some money right. from this. So there's we have no shortage of empty commercial real yeah. estate. There's a Macy's in this uh, project. I, I mean, <laughs> if I'm Macy's, I'm freaking out. I just walked through there. There was not really anyone in there no. at 7.30 p.m. Well, who's going to Macy's anymore? I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, no one. It's yeah. Like, yeah, it's not a thing but you're not allowed to build housing in commercial zones got it so that's why when you drive down like la brea or like places like that there aren't really any apartments it's just like a bunch of little stores uh because you're not allowed to put affordable housing or any kind of housing in those places i I mean that's interesting that this was this conversation was happening in the 80s because that was like the second time they updated one of these plans if this was 1970 then they jumped to this plan that they started in 1985 and like Put out in 1988, wow. which was called L.A. A City for the Future. Wow. This is their L.A. So scary. They're all <laughs> so nightmarish. We're farmers. And, and yeah. there's pitchforks. Look where there's a military. All the farmers are being uh, slaughtered by the blueprints. <laughs> I mean, what is, the, what is the plan here to just start again? Because that's yeah. what it feels We're like. We're wiping everything out. It's, I can't tell like what's supposed to be good and what's bad. Uh, yeah, they were. So this is in the eighties, and they're it's LA two thousand. They're yeah, planning LA for two thousand. Okay, wow. So basically, the city's like real general plan never really changed since the forties. There's a weird thing where LA in say like nineteen sixty was zoned to fit ten million people. Like, if you maxed out every lot, like, how many people could be on each lot, there would be 10 million people in Los Angeles. Like, the whole Los Angeles? Like, Los Angeles City. Okay, wow. Yes. Uh, And now it is zoned to fit 4 million people, which is the current population of Los Angeles. So we are technically full because they took a lot of places that could have held apartments and they turned them into single family uh, housing. I mean, LA is, I think, 80% single family homes, which makes it really hard to fit more people into it. A lot of that stuff in the 80s, which you can see in movies like Blade Runner and a bunch of others from that period, were kind of related to a phobia of Japanese people essentially taking over the city. Like, you can see... That famous shot in Blade Runner of the woman uh, on the big screen. It's like an Asian woman. Uh, There were a bunch of uh, towers going up in downtown at that time that were built by Japanese uh, companies. This was, you remember Gung Ho? Yeah, Gung Ho. I mean, you're even talking about Die Hard, which is like, you know, Nakatomi Nakatomi Plaza. Plaza. And it's like, well, what does Takagi have to say about, you know, it's like, it's a very. And built in that same corridor that you were talking about. Nakatomi Plaza, I guess, where is that? that I mean, that's on the Fox lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's like kind of Miracle yes, Miley. It's right, by there. It's right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. It's that whole. But it's also, I imagine, in the 80s, you're having like this this economic boom, but there's a lot of money coming in. So there is like, and we're going to be talking about it a little bit later, but like this idea of like this fear of capitalism, because it's like there's so much going on that it seems like LA is oddly stopping it, which is, or is that like kind of what's going on that there's like, They're holding it back? I guess, but the only people that have really benefited are people that have owned their homes this entire time and watched them, like, whatever, quadruple in value. It's not like anyone, like, 
people at lower income levels have been squeezed out of the city and county for a long time. LA County shrunk last year. Not a sign of a thriving right. community. Yeah. Uh, because like people are just kind of seeking affordability elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, it never occurred to me, but picturing the people who own those expensive big houses um, and benefited from it, that seems to be a nice like subset of people who are rich enough that they make movies and have made their living off making movies saying that tall buildings are bad. Absolutely. It has also kept a lot of people that like did okay in movies in Los Angeles. You meet a lot of people that are very defensive about like property values and stuff who like did some movie stuff for a while, like sold a script or whatever, and now are really, really dependent on the value of that home going forward. We also I remember I, I met when I first came out to LA, I met a, a, a TV writer who had never had anything produced but sold the script every year and he had one of the nicest houses to, to this day that dream. I've ever been in. Yeah. That's what I'm pursuing <laughs> all the time. But it's like there was this there's this time where you could really you know you like where they were, you know, like especially in this business where you could make a lot of money and do very little. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh the go go nineties. Yeah. Man, we missed out. We did. Will and Grace, they all get Porsches because they got good yeah, ratings. Literally, that is true. Yeah. They gave them all Porsches. I mean, I wasn't thinking of air rights when I pulled the next slide that is also from LA 2000, but I think it is about air rights now that I look about it. <laughs> oh, it is about man. condensed living. What? That, that's where we should build up. Yeah, know? I don't know why they we had this picture this in there, what, to be is, honest. This is what LA 20, or this is the 2000, this is... LA 2000, according to 1980 LA. It's the dream. Wow. Why don't they have stores that just sell socks anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I think if you go to Universal City Walk, which is one of the most thriving economies that we have. That's where we pretend. We had to build a theme park to pretend that we live in a city. My, instead of just doing it in the actual city. My mom currently lives in a fake city. And it's amazing to see because she lives in um, one of these malls that is a... like apartment living now it's like okay. the, uh, the americana uh, the glendale americana like yeah. she lives above like a keels and she comes downstairs and she's so excited that she never has to leave the property wow. and she walks around there as a barnes and noble she's very excited about that do you do your family dinners at that cheesecake factory i've eaten at that cheesecake factory too many times and <laughs> let me tell you something it's good <laughs> I thought I would be a real dick about it and be like, fuck Cheesecake Factory. It's good. It's legitimately good. But it's weird, right? That's one of the few places in L.A. where you can like live above a store. Yeah. Something that in New York is just such a basic part of life. You just go yeah. downstairs and like get You're, whatever you need. Yeah, it was, it, and that's, it's such an interesting thing. And it's, I, I, it's funny to see... Actually, what I've been really impressed with, and this is kind of off tangent, but it's like my mom has found a community in the short time that she's been there that I think is a very difficult thing in L.A. a lot of the times to yeah. interact, to see people like, you know, everyone kind of is very independent. And you're saying even like with the single family homes, you don't get a chance to you don't walk down streets, you don't bump into people. And it's uh, I thought that was really like even though at the root of it, it's so commercialism and you're basically just feeding a machine and you know, you're spending money to just spend it there. 
there is an upside of it that yeah. she, she's made more friends in like a month. I would say that's maybe like the best place to age, like in LA. It's yeah. not a good city to age in no, in general. Yeah. Because even like downtown, like the closest thing we have to New York. I love the Omega Man, by the way. Oh yeah. Which is like great. a great you you recognize so many downtown landmarks. They somehow not somehow, I mean they shut down all of downtown because for decades it was just kind of abandoned by yeah. and, and like would totally like shut down after like 5 p.m. Even when I first moved here, I feel that like that was the it, same thing. Yeah, I was like, I was I was staying at a friend's apartment. It was, and I, I was living in New York, and I was like, this is incredibly scary. Yeah, this feels like Judgment Night, the another Emilio Estevez classic <laughs> film with a great soundtrack, mashing them up, uh, hip hop and hard rock together. What? Oh man, Judgment Imagine Night. Imagine one song what that would sound like. <laughs> But they are already planning what the city will look like when we get old. There's two things that are happening right now that I would love to know more about. Yeah. Eric Garcetti this year announced the Green New Deal plan yeah. with L.A. in the middle. And then they're also, I think, currently still taking feedback for a plan they're going to announce and pretty soon called Our L.A. 2040. Yeah. Uh, so I'm happy to talk about both of these. Uh, the The Green New Deal is an interesting one. It is mostly about electric cars. This is the thing I only learned this year. Right. Electric cars, like, it sounds great. We have the worst ozone pollution in the country. Like, you, you saw last week the air was, like, basically unbreathable. And it finally rained and, like, all that went away. Right. Half our ozone pollution comes from not exhaust, not, like, tailpipes. It comes from brake pads and tires. Like, like, oh, when, wow. when, like when the car breaks, yeah. the rubber, like, shoots off. Uh, little particles and like the brake pads do so electric cars i for a long time was like oh like when those come along will be all good yeah but that's so, not gonna solve the problem that's so much i never realized it was tires no. it's tires yeah tires and brake, brake pads. pads like is a huge huge part of it the only way we're going to get out of it which the this green new deal doesn't really cover is Housing and like bus and bike lanes. When you move housing close together, right. people don't have to drive two hours right. to get yeah. to work every day. It improves our air. Uh, and bus and bike lanes move so many more people if you put them in the right places than car lanes do. Car lanes move barely anybody and they move so slowly. Yeah. And so. So the, the plan basically, I mean, that that seems like the only way you can kind of modernize a city to a certain extent, too, is like mm -hmm. open up more, you know, access to these things. I mean, but then you also are having, I mean, I don't know if you know much about this, but the idea of these scooters. The, I yeah. hate these scooters. And, I, and I'm like, oh, well, there must be a thing. You're talking to the wrong guy. You love these scooters? I'm known as the scooty cutie. What? Uh, I'm scooting all over town. Are you I, wearing a helmet? Yes, I am wearing a helmet. Okay, so My that... wife has told me she will divorce me if I do not wear a helmet. She has put some very embarrassing reflective strips all over it. Uh, but that's but you know what? I think that, that honestly, that seems to me the safe way to do it because I had a friend who recently was on one of those scooters yeah. and she got really messed up, but not terribly messed yeah. up. She just happened to to flip over. It, when there were no cars to run her over, flip uh, over, yeah, like because she was on like a weird, you know, lime, and yeah. it just it kind of jolted forward. And, yeah, some of them are weird. Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's the storage when you see somebody just come by and fucking yeah. chuck them, <laughs> like, like 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 you're throwing garbage into a wastebasket. Uh, maybe the wheels aren't going to stay aligned, uh, but. 
Yeah, but, I I do. I have wiped out twice. Okay. I did hit my head so hard uh, one of the times. The helmet saved my life. Yeah. I had been drinking. Uh, <laughs> and it seems like, oh, this is, I mean, better than driving. Right. You have to admit, it's better than drinking and Sure, driving. of course. I, it's only really myself that I'm mortally endangering <laughs> by doing this. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the scooters, uh, we think of them uh, as pedestrians. So this is what L.A. makes us do. They, they sell us this idea of, like, scarce resources, right? They make us fight over scraps. We get this tiny little bit of sidewalk space. For pedestrians, for scooters, like for cyclists, and then right next to you is eight lanes for cars right. that are like untouchable. And so it's to me, it's about like we should make like scooters should be a part of our like climate future. I like my the place I'm working right now is like two and a half miles away. Great scooter distance. Right. That's perfect. That Faster than driving. Um and if you maybe if people had their own scooters, they can protect themselves adequately. Yeah, because um, she said that my friend said that the doctor at the hospital was like, "We have had such an unprecedented amount of head injuries and severe trauma due to these scooters." I, I don't. No one's really releasing those numbers. I, no, the, some did come out. I think oh, for other cities, not okay. for LA. It's a lot of head injuries because people don't wear helmets. Yeah. So helmets. If people did wear helmets, that would uh, take out a lot of the. Yeah, problems. that seems like that. Yeah. No deaths except for one uh, scooter rider who was murdered <laughs> by someone who uh, targeted them. A truck driver who like chased them down. So and very much like so a whatever your drive. Yeah, you're not. You won't. Get away with it. Did they? Did he know him, or was it just mad he was on a scooter? I think he got, like, cut off or something and, like, flipped out. But it was so, immediately arrested for... Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 1975, to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Or murder. Yeah. I mean, on that wow. note of road rage, maybe this is a good segue to talking about Repo Man. Yes, yes. I love Which is it. a movie Let's that you uh, like and that, that I I've never... I never had seen Repo Man before today. And I've heard wow. so much about this movie. And it's it's... I mean, how many of you have seen Repo Man before? Was this your first time? All right. All right, so I, I asked a it weird. It sounded question. like just one clap, <laughs> yeah. but actually, a lot of people silently raise their hands. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting movie that I think you know, especially spoke to a time. It's 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 so bizarre, and it it's one of those interesting movies that I think borders on like, is this really terrible or kind of like really amazing? Because it feels, and I hate this term, but I'll use it because I have a limited vocabulary. It is very punk rock. I mean, yes. it has like that thing of like, we just fucking made a movie, <laughs> you know. And and I feel like, it's a universal movie. That's yeah. the craziest thing about it. You see that title card, you're like, what? yeah, and you're like, 
it's very hard to imagine Universal, the studio that brought you Fast and Furious, making something like Repo Man. Well, you got gonna... Iggy Pop to do the opening? All right, we're in, we're in. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about all that and how it was made, but I feel like we should play the trailer just to get into like the proper Repo sure. Man headspace. What you got in the trunk? You don't want to look in there. Suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly somebody will say like plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp out of the blue. No explanation. No point in looking for one either. It's all part of a cosmic unconsciousness. You eat a lot of acid, Miller, back in the hippie days? Put it on a plate, son. We'll enjoy it more. Couldn't enjoy it anymore, Mom. Mm-mm-mm. This is swell. What's this? <laughs> Charming friends you got there, Otto. Thanks. I made it myself. I had a lobotomy in the end. Lobotomy? Isn't that for loonies? Not at all. A friend of mine had one. I do my best thinking on the bus. That's how come I don't drive, see? You don't even know how to drive. I don't want to know how. I don't want to learn, see? The more you drive, the less intelligent you are. Wow, that like that was a trail. Like again, like 1984. We're yeah. like, I, I'm impressed with Universal that that even got that far. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, they made a movie that is so weird, and I'll just talk over this. They made a movie that is so weird that the credits even play in reverse yes. in the opposite order of the way that credits play because everything about this movie is just insane. But it um, it's the story of the Chevy Malibu with something mysterious in the truck. There's a, a couple competing groups of repo men who are chasing after it, also some federal agents. They're running around Los Angeles, and it's made by this man named Alex Cox, who was a British filmmaker. He was incredibly smart. He came to Los Angeles from England on a Fulbright scholarship, mm -hmm. and he used it to study film when he was 23 years old. And he was kind of broke and kind of punk rock and kind of disreputable. Like, he says that at the time, he was living in Venice Beach behind a sausage-making factory, and that his roommates at the time were just a bunch of weirdos. That I he feel had... like this story is not true because that seems like a commercial plant, and that seems like he's living in, uh, you know, he's mixing commercial and home real estate. <laughs> In Venice. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Like, back then, maybe you could put a sausage factory. Maybe it was not That's what made that so factory. cool. <laughs> I live by the sausage factory. Yeah. <laughs> Hang 10 and then get 10 dogs. There were a bunch of, yeah, like punk people out there. At the time. Like Raymond Pettibon lived really? out there. From, like, in, well, yeah, a lot of, uh, it's not a very punk place right now. But yeah, back then it was. 
It will be after a giant tsunami ruins all the all the real estate. But so like he knew a bunch of weirdos. One of them was a real repo man, and he would go riding with him, and that's where he got a lot of ideas for the film that he put into the script. He also lived with a guy who was an actual glass and window installer who told him a story about John Wayne that made it into the movie, pardon the 80s language, but here it is. Repo man don't go running to the man, Marley, and repo man goes it alone. It's a rebob. Just like John Wayne. Damn right, just like John Wayne. What's wrong, wrong with, with that? Greatest yeah, American yeah. that ever lived. John Wayne was a fag. What did you say, uh, What? John Wayne was a fag. The hell he, he was. was! He was too, you boys. I installed two Wayne mirrors in his pad in Brentwood. And he come to the door in a dress. Ah, uh, you're uh, fucking oh, nuts. That doesn't yeah. mean he was a homo, Miller. A lot of straight guys like to watch their buddies fuck. No, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you? I have to say, I kind of admire how progressive his buddies are at the end. I actually went trying trolling the internet to see if I could verify this story one way or another, because there are a lot of gossip stories about, did John Wayne do like to dress in women's clothes? Based, maybe inspired by this movie he did called The Spoilers, where he was wearing a beautiful feather boa. There's a guy who wrote this book called John Wayne, Duke or Duchess. <laughs> And oh, wow. it's a man who says that he would cross-dress with John Wayne, that they had a lot of fun cross-dressing together. His his story is that... Myron Stiegelberg. Myron Stiegelberg. Prominent L.A. cross-dresser and accountant <laughs> to the stars. You know. Um, but he says that John Wayne took up the habit from John Ford, who had the habit, and that John Ford had the habit of dressing in women's clothes, that he had picked that up from Winston Churchill. So there was this like long line of famous men who would dress up together. And Myron Siegelberg swears that John Wayne was actually buried in a wig. Jeez. In like a, a fancy long wig. He has this photo for proof. It's very blurry even on the internet. So I don't know if it's true. I can't vouch for it. But he says the guy with the great legs is John Wayne. And that's Myron Siegelberg, the shorter one to the side. Wow. Well, this is interesting because I also, I mean, I know in, like whenever you're writing stuff, it has to be vetted through a lot of different things. So when we did the Black Monday pilot, you know, our one of the main characters says, like, anything can, you can get anything for a price. Uh, don't believe me? Watch Game 7 of the World Series. Keep your eye on Bill Buckner, right? And Showtime's like, no, no, you can never say that. And we're like, what do you mean? Like, you can't, that's defamation. You can't say, like, and, and I've gone through that so many times. Yeah. I mean, you must have done of that. Of course, yeah. It never occurred to me what, I mean, what would it be like today if you were making a giant studio movie? Yeah, and said like, John Wayne used to watch his friends fuck, and he was a crossdresser. Or everybody even, I mean, would like, be okay in, with it. They'd yeah. be like, yeah, that's fine. But even like, I mean, this was like almost forty years ago, so yeah. it would be someone who had died much more recently. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't understand how like legally that is even. Yeah. Like a possibility. Like that was the thing that really struck me in that scene because I was like, you can't say that. You can't say that in a movie. Like, yeah, yeah you, you can't even say like McDonald's without having like a properly vetted in a certain yeah. way. You know, it's like, yeah. So I thought that was like just an interesting, I don't know if law has changed or. Or they just felt it was worth the legal exposure. <laughs> Repo Man just doesn't changes. believe in law. Repo Man doesn't believe in law. There is no. <laughs> eBay Motors is here for the ride with some elbow grease and a whole lot of love. You transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So part of what Alex Cox did to get this movie made is he came up with a a graphic novel. He didn't actually get that far. He says he only did four pages of it because he got bored. But he drew out what Repo Man would be, and he was taking it around to try to use it to sell the film. Here's a panel. I like this one on the next page uh, because... It has club cocktails in the in the in the little corner, which I really enjoyed drinking at the when I was in college, and he did too. Um, but they do not make it in the film for reasons we'll get into. And one of the people who bit and said, "I want to help you get this movie made," was Michael Nesmith from The Monkees. By the way, four panels. Michael Nesmith is like, "I'm in." He's like, yeah. it's basically saying like, "Hey, I got bored with my own idea after four panels, four pan, not four pages." Not even the first <laughs> four panels. He's like, I'm in. I like your moxie. Let me let me give you some more. Like, Mil- I mean, here's millions of dollars. <laughs> Surely Michael- you'll complete an entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. I mean, look, this guy was smart from the monkeys. Michael. Michael, knows, he's a weirdo. I pulled a clip of the monkeys just to sort of establish that he was always a big weirdo who would totally love to fund stuff like this. Sorry, man. No, don't get too upset. He might not be all that bad. No, of course not. And all those things you read about, it couldn't be true. It's okay, Pete. It'll be all right. Don't, don't worry. We'll we'll do something, fellas. I'm scared. I don't want to go to hell. This is just the monkeys going to hell. (laughs) So Michael Nesmith takes Repo Man and he's like, you wanted to make this for $70,000. I think we can get millions of dollars to make this. He makes some deals at Universal. Universal winds up greenlighting the film. But Universal has this idea that it's sort of a rock and roll production. They want to make the movie more rock and roll. So there's this character in the film that's played by Harry Dean Stanton. And Universal's like, why don't we get Mick Jagger? We really want Mick Jagger in this movie. And Mick Jagger totally ignored them. Uh, but they did get one rock and roll person in the movie who well, is... Well, the funny thing was, is years later, Mick Jagger did finally pair up with Emilio in Free Jack, another post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, fun run about cars and bodies and, and everything. Um, but I just, I love that Mick Jagger's always, like, hanging around the acting thing. I wonder if he was, yeah. like... Inspi- like he's like I could do what David Bowie does. Like I feel like I, I, like, sure. I like, you know, like but Mick Jagger in that part would have been sure. terrible. Not a lot of range on that guy. <laughs> does anybody recognize the actual rock and roll star who's in this picture? Jimmy Buffett. What? Jimmy Buffett. It is Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy wow. Buffett is in Repo Man, thus giving it the rock and roll cool, cool cred. Well, that by so the way, when you are needed. making a movie about punk rock and you can score a Jimmy Buffett, you are, you know, you know that you're you're really appealing to that community. That was and but yeah, and that Mike Nesmith is making it. <laughs> I just I don't understand what the monkeys are, I guess, because it seems like the equivalent of that today is like Joey Fatone walks into Warner Brothers and was like <laughs> I found this guy who's never made a movie before. Joey Fatone going I like this guy Ari Aster. I think we should invest in Midsommar. <laughs> the first frame of Midsommar is Joey Fatone presents. 
but it is like, like, like this movie. I think like they were reaching to get any sort of celebrity in it. Like they even approached uh, Muhammad Ali at one point wow. to be like, "Hey, would you be in it?" Like you'll come and you'll try to like touch the car, but the car even rejects you. Muhammad Ali and he wow. was like he, they said he he listened very politely and then uh, declined a, as politely so uh, yeah is Iggy Pop not in the movie because Iggy Pop would have been the cameos. best one yeah like, he would have been you know show up for that stuff because he did the song yeah he did the opening song which he was inspired by a road trip that he I guess like that song is the the oral equivalent to a road trip that he took like and uh, but it's a great song yeah and the soundtrack is really what was the big hit on this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of the story with this is that when it came out, Universal hated the movie and didn't want to release it. But the soundtrack was already out and kids loved the soundtrack so much that they were almost pressured to put the movie out despite their will. It's but kind yeah. of funny. It's like the way that we talked about uh, uh, Hard Day's Night. Like the soundtrack to Hard Day's Night was so successful, but they, it, was like, it was just sort of like, yeah, well, here's a soundtrack too. But, you know, like, and that was like the, one of the biggest hits of the thing. Yeah, but so they were desperate to have any sort of cost-saving, cost-cutting measures they could. So they reached out for people to people for sponsors, and only two people said yes. Um, the Car Freshener Little Tree sponsor said yes, which meant a lot to Alex Cox because his roommate, who had been a repo man, said that truly every car he repossessed did have one of these little trees. But this is a crazy thing. Like they have money to be like, "Yep, we'll drop some." It's like Masterlock does one commercial for a year at the Super Bowl, the Masterlock commercial. Like Little Trees, like we're just looking for that great opportunity. Like bring it. Like, like can we go? Can we get some money from Little Trees now? And it's not a great promotion in the movie. I mean, the no. guy just hands him one and says, "These are in every car." And then not that they're like that they even smell good. Yeah, and he seems to proceed to throw them in the trash like he's like mm, this is garbage if you don't want it it's garbage that's harsh um the second people who said that they would donate um goods was ralph's our local home wow. grocery store ralph's um because in the time in the 80s and 90s early 90s they did have these like aisles does anybody else remember this aisles of just generic products in a grocery store because I thought I had been hallucinating it until I started doing the research for like Repo that. Man. That looked like that. We had one in my grocery store in San Antonio. It was an aisle that was just black and white on all sides. And my family, wow. we weren't rich. So we bought a lot of stuff there. And I thought I was making it up because I was such a kid. But this is a commercial for it from, from Ralph's. On we switched to Ralph's. Switch and save. Instead of filling our cart with all name brands, we switched to Ralph's Plain Wrap. And just like that, Plain Wrap saved us up to $20 a cart full. And what selection? Most other supermarkets don't even come close. Even just a couple of smart switches could save us at least a buck a bag. Buck a bag. And the quality? Hey, it's from Ralph's. So switch. And save at least a buck a bag at Ralph's. So I got really into this and I started looking at all of the pictures of food that used to exist. Yeah. Like I found a picture of the potato chips that I know we had. This is the box that the potato chips came in, but I definitely know my dad used to buy these. Um, and then I started looking for the grossest things I could find. I found these hot dog sausages in brine. That's the uh, factory right behind Alex Cox's house. <laughs> no, um, frills. I, no frills. I take one frill. <laughs> and then I realized I was finding out that actually no. in the early 80s, this whole idea as kind of like a fuck you to capitalism to Reagan, this idea of generic products became really cool and that they started to launch a series of what they really called the No Frills book, where they hired writers to write genre books that were just labeled as exactly what they were. Wow. 
And they started to do a movie. They did a treatment for a movie that was called the No Frills Movie. And it was, wow. I found this website about it, and it was like written by the film critic David Anson, who I know. So I emailed him at four in the morning, and he was like, how did you find out about this? Um, but it was a whole thing, and it was kind of cool. And one of the people who got really into it in this whole aesthetic was Johnny Rotten, wow. who loved this idea of, of, of these products. And you might remember that his band had a video that came out two years after Repo Man that opened like this. Wow. And then Alex Cox goes on to direct Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Well, oh. actually, yeah. And this is actually the whole like packaging and cover art on the next slide for like this entire album. Everything on the album looked like this, which I think That's is really wow. rad. It's super badass. But yeah, then he goes on right after this to make. Then um, Alex Cox goes and makes Sid and Nancy. Do you want to hear my insane Ralphs fact? The, I, I can feel us getting far away from Ralphs, and Ralph's I'm worried yeah, I'm not no, going to be able to unleash my Ralphs fact that crushes at parties. Oh, wait, I want to hear this. Ralphs is uh, named that because the guy's name was Ralphs. Wait, Ralphs? <laughs> George Ralphs. That's why there's no apostrophe. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you want to hear? So it's even crazier. I can escalate. Yeah, yeah, please. Smart and final. Yeah. Their names. He, this guy knows. <laughs> final is a name. Yes, they're both their names. Wow. <laughs> no. Yes. No. That's a, I that give a... you this party gift. <laughs> Like, if your name is Smart and Final, you do need to get into some sort of, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what if they had wanted to be Undertakers? Yeah. So Alex Cox wanted to end Repo Man with a nuclear bomb, or really a neutron bomb, that blew up all of Los Angeles. Because the 80s, again, were a time where we were really freaked out about atomic warfare. I did pull one of these, like, duck and cover commercials from the 50s. It's, like, out of date, but I just love it, so I wanted to play a little bit of it. Duck and cover. Be sure and remember what Bert the Turtle just did, friends, because every one of us must remember to do the same thing. That's what this film is all about. Duck and cover. Paul and Patty know this. No matter where they go or what they do, they always try to remember what to do if the atom bomb explodes right then. It's a bomb. Duck and cover. Sundays, holidays, vacation time, we must be ready every day, all the time, to do the right thing if the atomic bomb explodes. Duck and cover. That's the first thing to do. Duck and cover. First, you duck. Then, you cover. You duck and cover tight. Duck and cover under the table. It's a bomb. Duck and cover. He did what we all must learn to do. You and you and you and you. Duck and cover. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, obsessed with this idea of duck and cover because it seems to me like such a line of bullshit. Like that, clearly this is never going to protect anything. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're like, we we do need to answer it so that it sounds good. But like, I feel like the people back then must have been like, but this is this is not gonna work, right? Because it's an <laughs> atomic bomb, right? Like like we understood what the power of the atomic bomb was. Like that's not. It wasn't like if you were down low, you, you would avoid. Yeah. It wasn't like a, a yeah. We're we're falling for the same thing right now. They tell us in yeah. an earthquake. Yeah. Get under a table or something. Yeah, that always seems wrong to me. There's thousands of miles of gas lines running underneath this city. If there's a big earthquake, 
we're all blowing up. <laughs> what about the, the table will not save you. <laughs> what about the triangle rule? I heard that was like the new hip thing. Is the triangle rule? I don't know about the triangle rule. It's like you don't get under the table, or I wouldn't get under this chair. If I could get under the chair, I'd get right next to it, so that if the ceiling fell, it would fall get- on me, but then it would leave a little pocket right here, because it wouldn't fall straight down, so it would be a little tent, and I'd be more safe. What's wrong with uh, getting under the table? Well, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. The triangle um, rule. And where's the triangle in this scenario? You are the triangle. Oh, I am the yeah. triangle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've also heard about... Like parts down. of yeah, with that there are sinkholes like it, like in those fields that would just like like just like turn to sand or like in that kind of... that's mostly by the beach. Oh, okay, because it's closer to the ocean. Okay, that is that's liquefaction. Yes. immediate. You're getting sucked into the earth. That's the ideal. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best case scenario for you. Oh no! Just get absorbed from whence we all came. <laughs> Uh, so part of why the bomb was on Alex Cox's head was because Reagan had just okayed making 800 new bombs. And these are neutron bombs, which are the bombs they talk about in the film. And um, what a neutron bomb is, is they called it like the capitalist bomb. Mm-hmm. Because the whole idea was that if like the bomb that hit Hiroshima, which is not a neutron bomb, hit Hiroshima, it would level everything. You know, it leveled all the buildings. It broke. It burned all, everything on the ground, including the people. But what a neutron bomb would do was it would hit a city and it would just only destroy the people and it would leave the towns fine so that, I don't know, so that Mad Max could like move into Los Angeles after it had been mm-hmm. like bombed. But the, the city itself would stay okay. Um, so they, there's a scene here um, where we talk about the neutron bomb in Repo Man. Ever been to Utah? Sir, I represent the Helping Hand Acceptance Corporation. Radiation. Yes, indeed. You hear the most outrageous lies about it. Half-baked goggle box do-gooders telling everybody it's bad for you. Pernicious nonsense. Everybody could stand a hundred chest x-rays a year. They ought to have to. When they canceled the project, it almost did me in. One day my mind was literally burst. The next day, nothing. Swept away. show them I had a lobotomy in the end lobotomy isn't that for loonies not at all a friend of mine had one designer of the neutron bomb you ever hear the neutron bomb destroys people leaves buildings standing fits in a suitcase so small no one knows it's there till blammo Eyes melt, skin explodes, everybody dead. It's so immoral working on a thing can drive you mad. That's what happened to this friend of mine. So he had a lobotomy. Now he's well again. So the actual inventor of the neutron bomb did not have a lobotomy. He was alive when this movie came out. His name is Sam Cohen. He had a lot of interesting, kind of crazy ideas. One of them, which he put on a cover story, the exact month that Repo Man came out, was that the way to solve the Mideast peace crisis was to line all of Israel with a radioactive wall so that nobody would want to get in. Um, Wow. That that didn't happen. He wrestled a lot with his, like, atomic ideas later in life. He self-published this book, uh, Fuck You, Mr. President, Confessions of the Father of the Neutron Bomb. Uh, (laughs) 
He seems very sad about saying fuck you. He seems, he seems remorseful. I take no joy in saying this, Mr. President. <laughs> that's, that's the one so thing cool. that's kind of great about this movie, and I feel like something I haven't really seen is like just unadulterated anger. Like, you know, I think that a lot of times you, you see movies that have a point of view that are that are saying something and by saying something cleverly, but very rarely do you see like anger. Just like it it's not really focused. I don't know. Like it's like they're just mad at society. And I think there's something really interesting about that. In a weird way, I feel like it's a great time for this kind of a movie to come I could see this movie coming back in a way like I know there were sequel opportunities well yeah Alex Cox has been trying to make a sequel he had this idea in the 90s that he would make a film called Waldo's Hawaiian Holiday because you know Repo Man ends with Emilio Estevez getting taken away by aliens this would be 10 years later he comes back to earth from mars where he's been well treated exactly and he has to wrestle with this with fitting in into, into like the 90s when he's an 80s punk rock guy and this movie never got made because like Emilio Estevez and Alex Cox just blamed each other they both said that the other one didn't have enough juice in hollywood to get it made and right. so they, they just said walked that away basically it was about ready to get made and then Alex Cox is like well Everyone knows Emilio's film career is kind of shit, so they wouldn't do it. And then Emilio's like, I said I wouldn't do it because the script made no sense. And he goes, and Alex Cox is just mad at me because I don't go to, like, the DVD director commentaries and the fan, uh, si- you know, the fan signings because I live my life like I'm driving a car. I don't look in the rearview mirror, which is an odd thing because I do think a good sometimes. driver is, yeah, you're doing both. <laughs> Um, not all the time. Not all the time. Not all. Not yeah. You shouldn't drive by looking through the rearview mirror, but you should use it. I would say at least twenty five percent of the time uh, <laughs> while this, driving. This is why you hate scooters. <laughs> There's no, no rearview rear mirror. <laughs> yeah, but it's it. You know, I, I was actually thinking about Emilio Estevez and like what he did because he's like a clean cut kid. When you think about like this role is a more of a Charlie Sheen role than yeah. it is an Emilio role. And Emilio did like all these kind of weird movies. This Maximum Overdrive, the Stephen King fueled cocaine <laughs> fantasy uh, about you know, power tools coming to life. Um, He made weird choices, but he said that this movie actually connected him to his brother because he knew nothing of the punk rock scene. He was a very kind of nerdy kid. And he's like, I'm going to go hang out at punk rock clubs and like understand the culture. (laughs) But I do think it's interesting that like he is the face of this movie because he seems like he has none of that edge. It almost seems like he's like, it's funny, right? It's a cool, like I'm, I'm, I'm a bad guy. Like I don't, there's something <laughs> there like very sweet about him in this movie. Like it seems like he's acting. Uh, yeah. I wonder if he researched. I mean, it was like a legit scene, the L.A. punk scene. Yeah. At that time, it seems weird that it would be like born out of here. But have you seen like Decline of Western Civilization? Yeah, I love. Oh that movie. my god, the greatest. So funny. Uh, but yeah, it's weird to think of him entering that world yeah. to like study this or something. I got a little insane and I started trolling Getty images for pictures of Amelia's. It wasn't Charlie Sheen who was into punk rock. It was the other brother that nobody thinks of whose name I already just oh, forgot. Okay, I'm sorry. so sorry. I did find one picture of that brother like at a red carpet with their dad and his brother did have like neon platinum kind of hair, which I didn't pull up actually because then I thought nobody cares about this. So I'm crazy. Uh, I like but see, I guess I could tweet I it. I would like to see, see Martin. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right. But um, 
Alex Cox also had a hard time trying to make a sequel because he didn't have the rights. Universal owned the rights to Repo Man. And they so, were building that part of the theme park. It was going to be like Simpsons exactly. Land, Repo exactly. Man Land. <laughs> but in the 90s, he made this ultra low budget, or the 2000s, he made this ultra low budget film called Repo Chick. With Jacqueline oh, Janae? I pulled the trailer because it's awful. The entire movie, 95% of it is shot on a green screen. Oh, boy. They told me to get a job. Oh boy. You guys are repo men. Man, I saw a movie about you. Dixie, there's your first assignment. You see a big old trailer at the end of the street? You need to liberate that. You have 30 seconds to vacate this property. 10, 9, 8. She's so good. Since yesterday, she has ripped five cars, three planes, six shopping malls, and two places of worship. Three antique railroad car, million dollar reward? Forget it, Pinky. That antique railroad car is an urban myth to encourage typical no-hoper jerk-offs like you. I saw the entire train, three cars and a locomotive. August assigned me that train. I found the train. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome aboard. Since you have declined to join our righteous cause, I will be obliged to detain you. Dixie, if you fail, mortgage defaults will continue to rise, forcing more repossessions. Bailouts will cease to save us. Bankers will stop making loans. Zero credit, a worldwide recession, and thus the end of the repo trade. It's like legally blonde. <laughs> that you might just be created by a mad scientist as part of a tabletop experiment? Yeah. Whoa. So Universal was not cool with this movie. They were like, how dare you make Repo Chick? Uh, so they decided that I, I they think, were... I think their fear was not founded in any, in seeing any footage. So they decided to get revenge. They had the rights to a novel that was called The Repossession Mambo. And they had already started to make a film about the Repossession Mamba, which is about people stealing organs. And then they just decided to retitle it. It was the movie that they had on the shelf starring Jude oh, Law and Forrest Whitaker. No. They just named it Repo Men and had it come out right after Repo Chick as a giant fuck you. But you this say it as a come out after Repo Chick. I can't imagine that Repo Chick didn't. The only way that Repo Chick came out was like. Alex Cox knocked on your door with a DVD player and said, like, can I play this? When is it convenient for you? Uh, but the good news, if people want a new Repo Man, is that the deal he had with Universal that gave Universal the rights to the Repo Man characters was for 35 years. And if anybody wants to do the math on 1984 to 2019... Wow, that's exactly 35 he, years. He has been making vague noises that he might bring Repo Man back. So oh. this is a chance for him to bring, I mean, well, not with Harry Dean Stanton, obviously, R.I.P., uh, but, uh, the, but I mean, not with Emilio, I guess. So yeah. what is like, I mean, but I do think that, you know, going back to this idea, this is a great time to do it. Like, cause in, in a weird way, you know, everything that you're railing against in the eighties and Reaganomics, there's now, it's kind of this other side of it now. And I think it would be actually in good hands, this concept is could be really well executed. Yeah, are they Alex Cox's hands? Yeah, no. I, I mean, I like it's a sad thing because the reason it might not be able to succeed today is because they 
did that so it, it, it became a cliche because it was cool in the 80s and right that like anti-consumerist uh like like fuck the man like vibe is considered a little bit corny and like i try feel that way now. that's how i feel right now i know but if you like saw a movie like a new movie that was like mcdonald's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, Don't you know what you're eating? Of, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of been done yeah. in a way because of movies like this that were so groundbreaking at the time. You know, it's like the curse of being very influential as you kind of can't do it again without uh being corny. Yeah, and it and it feels like based on just simply repo chick, uh it doesn't seem like that hand is deft or, or, or even really seemingly capturing anything that was of the first film. Yeah. It seemed like the thing that he gravitated towards was the repossession part of it. Like, <laughs> you always see in those movies, like somehow like John Larroquette or like Tara Reid just like shows up. And you're like, what are they doing in this movie? But nobody, he got no, but yes, not they, even Jimmy Buffett. What? <laughs> Jimmy Buffett couldn't even fly his little plane overhead just to get a, a wave. Um, yeah, I, I am. You know, I wonder about this. Like when you, we talk about, like we we're talking about this idea, like what is good left as your legacy? And it's this weird thing where do you dilute the thing that you made by revisiting it and like cashing in on it? And I think this one would be. Yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, well, he already tried to. Yeah. But I mean, if this is like a, I mean, I don't know who finances it, but right. uh, if he gets it back, I don't know. If he repossesses it? If he repossesses it. I think the right move is actually to tease it just a little bit every year to like right. Instagram the cover page of Clerks 3 and be like, here it is. Here it's coming. <laughs> Jane Silent Bob, a movie also didn't come out in the theater, but just came out at local places. <laughs> That's I like right. that. He's putting on a show. It's, I like it's it. It's a road show. Touring with the movie. I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's like, but yeah, it's it's catering to your, your crowd. Yeah. Instead of like saying it's for everybody. It's not for everybody. It's for the people who really want to see it. And it's then like the being signature. Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. You're Jimmy Buffett traveling around. I guess you have people come to you for margaritas. That's right. And your fans will give you all the money that they have. And, right. you, and you don't need to like expand beyond that. Yeah, I guess maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe that is the most punk rock thing that he could yeah. possibly do. <laughs> He's a genius. We figured it out. He's a genius. All right, people, that's it. Um, thank you for listening to this episode. Like I said, we do these shows monthly at the Alamo Draft House. The next one is Monday, March 23rd at 7.30 p.m. Buy your tickets if you have not. And then next week, we will get back on our regular schedule for MASH. Robert Altman's MASH. Oh, my gosh. And I cannot wait for you to hear a clip that I picked. It is so, so good. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats 
like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.